Let's just take a moment to be still because we are in the presence of the God who made us, who loves us, and who sustains us, and who calls us together to worship. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. Our opening hymn of worship is number 12 in the red hymn book. It is also on the screen. Jesus calls us here to meet him. And if you're able to stand as we sing, please do. As you all know, there will be a lot of elite athletes with physical disabilities coming to share in the Glasgow Games. And a couple of weeks ago, we thought about some blind things and how blind athletes um, are helped to compete. And I thought today we might use just a tiny weeny bit of British Sign Language um, in our prayers of approach as we just keep it at the back of our minds. There are also people who can't hear We're only going to use two signs, so that's hopefully not too much to remember. 
Um, you do this uh, with your dominant hand. So I'll do it with my left hand because I'm left-handed, but it doesn't really matter which hand you do it with. So the sign for thank you, or please, but we're going to use it as thank you, is to touch your lips and reach out. Thank you. And God, you kind of point to the sky and look up because that's the kind of general direction we think God might be. And the other one, um, I'll have to do it a bit low down because I've got the microphone on and it will crackle, is sorry, which you'd kind of make a circle on your chest. And I suspect that one goes back to um, the old days and still happens in some Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches. But when you're doing confessions, you actually, I have to do it with your right hand, you sort of thump your chest, not hard, um, as a kind of um, confession thing, a, a penitence thing. So when I, when I say thank you, God, or sorry, God, we just do those actions together. Is that okay? So you might need to keep your eyes open, but you don't have to. So let's come to God with our prayers of thanks and confession. It's another new day, and we woke up safe and sound. Thank you. God. Today, we could choose what clothes we wanted to wear. Thank you, God. Most of us have eaten breakfast or at least had a drink, and all of us will have food to eat today. Thank you, God. Already today, someone has spoken to each one of us and maybe even shared a smile. Thank you, God. And so because of God's goodness and because we're grateful, let's take a moment of stillness and silence to think of one good thing we'd like to say thanks to God for. And let's join together saying and signing Thank you, God. It's another new day, and we want to wipe out all the sadness and regrets of the past week. So if we have been careless or thoughtless, sorry, God. If we have been selfish or mean, Sorry, God. If we have gossiped or been bitchy or catty, sorry, God. If we've been too busy to listen or to love, sorry, God. And let's take a moment again to think of one thing we regret or one thing that made us or other people sad, and bring those to God. And let's join together, saying and signing, sorry, God. Loving God, Jesus promised that when we tell you our regrets, And when we're really sorry, you will wipe them away and let us begin again. So with glad and thankful hearts, we join our hands and voices to pray. Thank you, God. Amen.
we're going to sing again. This is one of the hymns that um, seems to fit particularly well with the Commonwealth Games and was written by the New Zealand hymn writer Shirley Murray. Celebrate all human beauty. Please stand if you're able as we sing. halfway through our summer series of services and although not everybody's been here every week most people have been here most weeks so we've kind of traveled a journey with Jesus's team we began a long time ago with kind of opening ceremony which reminded us that we should become like children that um, Jesus' disciples were busy posturing about who was the most important and who was the best disciple. And Jesus took a little child and said, actually, you should be like this. Um, What we often skip over is the Greek uses a word that could be translated as he or she or it. And the most correct translation, which we never use, would be it. Because in that culture, in the Roman culture, the dominant Roman culture, children under five were its. They didn't even name them because they might die. And, you know, why waste a name on a child that's going to die? They were just seen a bit like wild animals, like puppies to train. So Jesus is usually translated as setting him in the middle, a boy child. But it could have well as been a girl child. And I always like to translate it as she. He took a little girl and he said, that's what you should be like. Curious, lots to learn, having fun, being playful. So that was where we started. And we thought about the people that Jesus chose for his team. Can anybody remember the names of anyone who Jesus chose? It's a long time ago. Well, there was James and John, 
who liked nothing better than a good squabble and a fight. They were proper brothers. And there was Peter, who we've heard a lot about and we'll be hearing more about today, and his brother Andrew. And there was Matthew, or was it Levi, who was the tax gatherer, and lots of others. And we thought we've travelled with them a little bit and seen how they gelled together as a team. And I thought it would be good to do something that helps remind us of that with a little activity. Now, I know some people don't like the activities very much. That's okay. You can just kind of sit and cogitate for five minutes. Some people love them. What I would really like is two people who are brave enough to be my two team captains. And they can be any age. They don't have to be children. They can be grown-ups. And if nobody volunteers, I'll just emulate Jesus and choose to. That would seem fair, wouldn't it, after all? There's somebody who occasionally reminds me I'm the closest person to God in here. It's not true. Anybody going to volunteer, or am I going to choose two captains? Ah, thank you, Alison. Fantastic. Alison's been out waving the baton pass with the girl guides this morning, because it went past girl guide headquarters. So Alison can lead one team, and who can I pick for the other um, I had to pick somebody I didn't pick before, hadn't I? Um, Graham, would you be a team leader for me? Now, what I would like in a minute is for you to each choose two people to go in your team. But I'm going to um, just very briefly explain what the task is first. Um, we have two tables, and we have each table has 30 giant Jenga blocks. And the challenge will be for you and your team to build the tallest tower you can with these blocks in a relatively short period of time that I will tell you after you've had some training time. Now, what we're going to do is you're going to pick your two people for your team. Mm -hmm. And while we listen to the song that we've heard every week for a little while, the um, Let the Games Begin song, um, one lot can go over there and have a little huddle quietly. One lot can go, Graham, you can take yours over there and have a little huddle quietly. You can take three blocks with you And that's your planning time, your strategy. So that's when your team comes together and you work out how you're going to build the tallest tower you can in not very long. All I'm going to tell you is it's not very long. So, Alison, would you like to choose somebody for your team? Oh, I think Bethany probably knows how to do this sort of thing. Okay, Bethany. Graham? I'm going to go for Leo, if he doesn't mind. Okay, Leo and Alison. Freya's looking quite enthusiastic about this. <laughs> so were, Freya. Yeah. Okay, so Bethany and Freya with Alison, and who are you having for you? An all women's team. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. So if you and your two teams, so you can take three bricks each from your team, one lot go there, one go there. Um, you've got the duration of the song to do your thinking, planning, what, how you're going to work as a team. Because that's kind of where we've got to in our story of Jesus and his friends.
Do you want to gather around your tables? Okay. So, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to build the tallest tower that you can. And um, you're welcome to cheer the teams on, or you're welcome to do the countdown with me so that they know how the 30 seconds is going. Okay? So, we're going in uh, five seconds from now. Ready? Steady, go. 30, Well done. So how did you manage to decide how to do it? Can anybody tell me what you did to think, right, we'll do it like this way and, and not that way, and we'll do the extra tweak at the end? That was very impressive. Good teamwork, yeah? Good communications. And a little bit of risk-taking, I think. Because, actually, it could have all fallen over, couldn't it? If, it's amazing. We used to do this kind of exercise um, in management training courses. We each did it with Lego. But you'd always get a group, and it would always be an all-male group who would decide that this was the way to do it. And it's great, because like in Three Bricks at all, but you don't get very far. I'm not going to keep going, but you won't get very far like that before it gets very wobbly and falls over. So good teamwork, good communication, and a, and a kind of a balanced amount of risk. So that's really, really good. Fantastic. Well done for that. Um, it will kind of make sense. I'm just going to take the top off your tower because I can't see over it because I think it's actually taller than me. Uh, so that's uh, not so great, is it? Right, where are we up to? Oh, it's film time now. I'll get there eventually. Um, hopefully the film will show up okay. We might need to take the lights down um, so we can see it. So this is the interview's with the athletes, these are all athletes from various uh, Commonwealth countries who have competed at international level in their sport. Thank you. 
Hi everybody. Now we can all feel worn out sometimes, can't we? Everything can feel like a real struggle. You know, it's like that, even for top athletes sometimes. No matter how hard you try, you seem to get nowhere. Well, today we're going to hear how, in times of struggle, Jesus can help us out. First though, we ask this lot, our athletes, if they've ever been somewhere where they felt everything was against them, and how being a follower of Jesus made a real difference. When I was about 15 years of age, my football career sort of collapsed um, because I was told that I was too small and I wasn't going to make it as a professional footballer. And you can imagine what that does, a young man whose heart is set on becoming a professional footballer. Uh, I struggled for, for two years and then started to, to really put things back together and really started to flourish from then. And it really taught me that, you know, even through your struggles, you can achieve things if you really become any good. Really? And sport, we're away all the time, you know, we travel around the world, we see some amazing places, but at the same time, we have to leave family and friends at home. It's probably about a third of the year that we're away, that's, that's not easy to do. God's provided me with an amazing family who encourage me, they don't mind that I go away all the time. I mean, that makes life so much easier, and it, it's just brilliant to have. Well, there's always a big tough day in, in training. Um, you know, waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and then having to you know, go to the pool and swim for maybe two and a half hours and then go to the gym and then, um, and then again in the evening go for running and then more swimming and weights and it was just a lot. Every day there was always a struggle and a choice to make to keep working hard and I had to keep training and always give me strength. As an athlete, you know, it's um, sometimes you know, it's really difficult to just wake up and get going. And sometimes you hit, you know, very bad moments and you feel low. And it's in the lowest moments of my life. That's when Jesus is so raised. Sometimes I set my goals and I feel like I cannot achieve this goal. It's not for me. It's too much for me, you know. And that is when Jesus has reminded me that through him, everything is possible. The biggest support I had of all was being able to, to go to Jesus and, and bring those problems to him in prayer and uh, know that he was always there and he would always hear me and I would gain a lot of strength from that through the times I was struggling most. There's always times in anything where you'll have a day where you're struggling and it's not going to plan or they're upset or things aren't, aren't working out for you. And first and foremost, I will always uh, lift that up to God. I really trust that God has my life in his hands and that he knows what he's doing and he knows where he wants me to go. And even if sometimes I don't understand why things are not going right, I know that God knows and um, can lift my cares and worries to him and trust that that will be okay. And that will really give me a sense of peace. Uh, well, when I went to some of the major Olympics, uh, I was... Maybe a favourite to get a medal. I won a medal at the World Championships the year before that. And the Olympics was quite a different story because uh, it's a really, a really high up level of competition, so you have to be at your very, very best. And um, in my favourite event, I, I did it very well at all. And I'm touching the wall and looking at my time on the big scoreboard and thinking, oh wow, what happened there? And I knew it wasn't going to be fast enough to get me to progress further in the competition. Um, and you know, I just sort of took a deep breath and thought, well, you know, I knew that God was still with me and still loved me, and that uh, I tried my best, and I honestly had, I couldn't have done any more. I, I remember just crying and crying and crying, and people were trying to comfort me and give me hugs, but um, 
you know, all the thoughts that were going through my head, but I really felt this, the Bible talks about the still small voice of God, and I really felt like he just spoke and he said, I am proud of you. And that really meant a lot to me because I felt like I'd let everybody die and I'd been such a disaster. The last 12 years of my life have been awake. But, you know, God is still saying, I still love you, you're still my child. And I've done my best. And it wasn't worthless what I'd done the last 12 years, but I'd learned so much about just applying myself and training all the hard work I've done, um, especially with Jesus. Um, you know, there's never a disaster that's so deep that you can't lift the up out of it. Very important to me. So, if you want to do really well, you've got to be prepared for times when things get really hard. And it's great that our guys look to God for help. And talking of looking, bring our screen back in again. I don't know about you, but I find Kirsty Balfour's really um, inspiring. She's so honest about her struggles and really good there. Sorry, I'm getting a bit filling up with that. I don't know why. I've watched it about five times this week, so I know what it says. But there is this fact about sometimes life is difficult. You work hard, you train hard. And it still doesn't always seem to go just as you want to. But you trust somehow in all of that that God is with you. It might seem like God is silent or that God's asleep. But somehow she just holds on to the fact that God's with her in all of that. So we're going to sing a hymn which is a reflective hymn. So we'll remain seated as we sing it. I will be with you wherever you go.
It was interesting looking through the uh, on your marks material that we're using because they're basically following this Gospel of Mark. But this week they sneak off into the Gospel of Matthew because it has a slight nuance that they want to work with. Uh, I said this to somebody and they said, oh yeah, you can always twist the Bible to meet your teaching point, can't you? So we're going to listen to a story that is told in Mark but is also told in Matthew and John and Matthew tells us a little bit more than the other two. This story follows on immediately from the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, whilst he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. that's beautiful if anybody wants to go and do colouring our activity sheets they're up on the mezzanine so feel free to move one of the challenges I've set myself over this summer is not to stand behind the lectern and read every word off my notes 
Um, when I was at college, I think I may have said this a few weeks ago, one of my tutors said, you should do it without notes now and again, just to prove you still can. Um, most of the weeks, I've done that because I've planned it quite carefully. This week, it's actually because I printed off the wrong version of the sermon, so I kind of have to go with it. I, I normally do two or three iterations. I'm, That's not the one I wanted. Back in the 1980s, when I was a student the first time around, um, halls of residence had pretty horrible walls. In fact, ours had battleship grey walls. And the only way to make them bearable was to stick up posters. And one of the ones that was very popular amongst us Christian students, which we probably bought from the CLC in outside St. Paul's Cathedral, had a picture of a boat on it, and it said, a boat in harbour is safe, but that's not what boats are built for. Now, that's not a Bible text, in case you're thinking, where on earth is that in the Bible? But it was a very popular saying with preachers at that time that was kind of to tell us to take a few risks with our lives, because actually the early 1980s, whatever we think of the government that was in place at the time, for students was actually quite a good time to be a student. There were still full student grants. It was affordable to go to university. There were no tuition fees anywhere in the United Kingdom. So we kind of had it a bit easy, really. We had to work hard, but, you know, we didn't worry as much about money as people do now. And preachers would try to say, you know, you need to take a risk. You need to do something. And it's a good, good thing. But the reality is, of course, if most of us get in a boat that goes out of a harbour, it'll be a nice yacht, or it'll be one of those nice pleasure cruises that takes us out for a nice ride. could even be a long cruise. I know we've got people in the church who like to go on long cruises. And you've got lifeboats and life belts and a GPS system and a crew that know what they're doing, nice stabilisers so that even if it's stormy, it's not too bad. So actually, although it's true that a ship in a harbour is safe, but that's not what ships are built for, I think we've tamed the image a little bit. It becomes something nice that we do. We go out and it's not really too risky to go out on a boat. We'll have a nice time and come home. Very different from how it was in Jesus' day. This story of Peter walking on the water is one that haunts me. Way, way back in January 1999, I was spending a weekend at the Northern Baptist College in Manchester as a three-day interview process to see if they would let me train there for ministry. I'd already been through the equivalent of the Board of Ministry, but in the English context, you then have to do a college interview. So three days of grilling all sorts of things, silly games like this to see if we could work together as teams, um, writing essays about current affairs, leading prayer, leading discussion, all sorts of stuff. And the end of the first evening, when we were whacked, absolutely exhausted, we went into the chapel and we sat round and it was a minister called Sue Thompson, I can remember it to this day, and she told us the story of Peter walking on the water and that you have to step out of the boat Eventually, the risk is to step out of what you know, the risks you understand, and do something you've never done before. And it stays with me, that story. 
I actually used it um, three years later when I was the accompanying student with another group of students. So when it came this, up this week, I kind of had the goosebumps on the back of my neck because this is, this is my story. This is a story that God keeps bringing back to me at various times. Peter and the other disciples were actually fairly safe in that boat. Four of them at least were fishermen, so they wouldn't have been too disturbed by a squall. This isn't like the other story we have of terrified disciples thinking they were going to drown where Jesus is asleep. In this story, he's actually left them to go off on their own, to sail across, and he will meet them later. Maybe come in another boat, maybe come the long way round the shore. So it's all okay, it's a bit stormy. But what terrifies them is this seeming apparition, this ghost, this mirage, this what the blazes is it? That's Jesus. And I don't actually blame Peter for asking that question. Is it you? Is it really you, Jesus? Because if it is, why don't you just like call me and I'll walk out on the water to meet you? And Jesus says, come. I wonder how Peter felt in that moment. Was he, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. Oh, blooming heck. Now I've done and done it, I've got to do this. But he did. He took the risk, he took his courage in both hands, and he climbed out of the boat, which probably wasn't very easy, and he walked on the water towards Jesus. Now I know there are some people who think that's all mythological, and I know there are some people who think it's absolutely literal, And we could spend ages debating those, but neither of those is helpful because that's not what this story is about. It's a story about Jesus calling Peter. Come on, then. And Peter takes the risk, and he steps out. And as long as he looks at Jesus, he can do it. It's a bit like Moses' arms last week. As long as he was looking that way, he could do it. But as soon as the storm around him distracted him, As soon as he heard the wind and the waves, his courage failed and he started to sink. And that's such a real story. Never mind that it was on water or not on water. If we take that image that whilst you're focused on Jesus, you can do it. But once everything around overwhelms you, you can't. That seems to me to be a good message to hold on to. And I can remember as I told this story to a group of, as it happened, all men who were about to become training as Baptist ministers. I said to them, do you know what? I reckon when Jesus reached out to Peter and said, oh, you of little faith, it wasn't a harsh rebuke. That there was almost this twinkle in his eye that I love you, Peter, And I know you're impetuous, and I know you want to do it right, and I know you're going to mess up, but I love you. Your faith is small, but come on, I'll pick you up, we'll get back into the boat, and we'll go to shore. The danger of some of the stories we heard from the athletes is they kind of simplify it all. It's a bit too neat and tidy, you know, I wasn't really tall enough, so I prayed to God and it was fine. 
Now, I suspect behind that is a whole lot of other stuff that's not so good. And it's Kirsty Balfour that really strikes me. You know, she cried and cried and cried. She thought that God perhaps wouldn't be proud of her anymore because despite trying and trying and trying, she failed. She didn't win the medal. And I think somewhere in all this is the encourage for us as we take our risks, our risk in going forward with a redevelopment project, our risk perhaps in going to college or to university, doing a new job, taking on a new role. It's not always going to go right. And sometimes what's going on around us will be overwhelming. But I like to think that Jesus is there saying, it's okay, I'm here. Maybe you haven't quite got enough faith, but take my hand and we'll go on together. And it will, in the end, be okay. It's Kerr's favourite saying, isn't it? All will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. That beautiful promise that in the end it will all be okay. There was that song that I learned as a child with Jesus in the vessel, you can smile at the storm. There was no way I was going to sing that because I don't smile at storms knowing that Jesus is with me. But yet, with Jesus at hand, we can get through those storms. Life is tricky. Sometimes you print off the wrong version of your sermon and you just have to try and remember what it was you said. It's actually pretty minor in the scheme of things, isn't it? Sometimes life threatens to overwhelm us. I think some of the events this week have left us wondering what on earth is going on in our world. But faith is about taking risks and it's about trusting that somehow in all of that, Jesus is there and won't abandon us to drown. So we're going to sing. It's a song I've chosen just because I thought the words kind of connected. Um, I'm trusting that Paul's found a tune that works. Um, And we will sing, sing this together. Lord, my boat is so small and the ocean is wide, and I fear I'll be swamped by the breakers and tide. It seems to resonate with some of what we've been thinking about. Thanks, Paul.
in a lot of traditions, as I've said, the body is used a lot in prayer. Um, when I spent some time working with a Roman Catholic priest, there were times in the liturgy when we would literally be kneeling one moment and standing up the next. Not good if you've got blood pressure that doesn't behave right. But there is something about using our bodies in prayer that for some people is very helpful. So I've just got some different pictures of people praying. Uh, Somebody sitting on a park bench just with her hands together and her head bowed in the way that we kind of do it. I have a priest prostrated on the floor. If you go into a Catholic church, probably also an Orthodox church, um, in the Good Friday liturgy, the priest basically strips down to his black, um, takes all his fancy stuff, goes down to his black, and lies prostrate on the floor in front of the altar. Uh, We have somebody kneeling, and this is a group of, I think they're Anglicans. Um, They're not happy, clappy, charismatics, singing happy songs. They're actually praying but there's nothing wrong with happy, clappy, charismatics waving their hands when they're singing songs. Now, because I know that you don't like to have to be too risky, we're not going to do any of that today, but we are going to use our bodies, at least metaphorically, as we bring our prayers for other people. The scriptures remind us that each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. Every part of our bodies is a gift from God. And even if, like me, you've got bits that are a bit scarred or broken or don't quite work or a bit achy and stiff, they're still your gift from God and you can still enjoy them, at least to some degree, and employ them in prayer. So what we're going to do is just sit still and use our imaginations to help us focus on parts of our body and use that then to shape our prayers for ourselves and for others. So as we pray, let's just sit still and take a moment or two to become aware of our bodies. Maybe you notice the feel of the chair at your back or the floor under your feet. The weights of your hands and your arms. Maybe you are aware, unusually, of the rise and fall of your chest as you breathe. And possibly you can feel or hear your heartbeat. As you consciously still yourself, I wonder what sounds or what smells pervade your senses that normally you filter out. Be still. And in the stillness, savour the wonder of your very being. young or old, healthy or injured, whole or broken, painful or supple, wearing out or still forming. You are God's child. 
And God loves and accepts you. So focus for a moment on your feet. Think of the places that they have carried you, literally or metaphorically, this week. Where have you been? Where have you travelled? In the stillness, bring to God one of these places, however mundane it might seem. And take a moment to offer a prayer for that place or for those people. Then, focus on your hands. What have your hands been doing this week? Everyday domestic tasks? Tasks at work? Leisure activities? Embracing or enjoying another's body? Bring to God in the quiet one of those activities, whether it was dull or exciting, whether it was pleasurable or essential, and pray for those people for that place. And now, for a moment, think of your eyes and your ears. The things you have read and seen. The things you have heard and have listened to. Perhaps the news, with all the sadness that brings. Perhaps beauty or laughter or both and in the stillness bring to God one such experience and pray for it And then just become aware of your whole being. The you as you are. However that feels. Whatever is going on for you now. And bring that to God. Bring that to the Jesus who says to you, come. offer our prayers in the name of Christ 
the God who has shared our physicality in all its limitations and finitude. The God who is totally dependable and offers us healing and hope. Amen. Loving and generous God, you have blessed us with so much. We have bodies which enable us to do so much and enjoy so much. We have homes where we can live. And we have enough money that we can return some for your service. How blessed we are. So take this money and help us to employ it wisely to bring that same hope to others. For we offer it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so to end, a very beautiful golden oldie in heavenly love abiding. Please stand if you're able as we sing.
ship in a harbor is safe. But that's not what ships are for. Loving God, as we go from here, we ask you for the courage to step out into new adventures that lie ahead of us this week. However big, however small, however chosen, however much unexpected. Knowing that you are with us and that your love surrounds us this day and every day.